don't believe the hype, read the type. This is Type Beast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, we bring to you a special episode of Type Beast in light of uh, the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter. And um, I believe it was seven other people. Including the pilot, yes. Yeah, eight passengers yeah, and a pilot. Eight passengers, including the pilot. No, plus the pilot, so nine. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so sorry for not uh, coming in with my usual jovial self and <laughs> singing the hook. I wasn't really in the mood uh, to be singing. Um, yeah, man. So uh, the book we were going to cover is called Kobe Bryant the Mamba Mentality, How I Play. And this is a book I purchased last year. Um, and I figured this would be um, a good time to um, share it with you guys. Right? So, um, but, yeah. So, Joel, let me ask you, um, where were you when you heard? Um, I was... So the news came out what like Sunday. What yeah? What time? Because I was I think I was driving home mm -hmm. for my brothers. Like was it was it early Sunday morning or maybe it was right before I left my brothers. Uh, I was visiting my brother in Concordia this weekend, and um, I think I found out right before like in the morning. Like it was I want to say the news was I came out like what ten eleven or was it a little bit later than that. Um. I don't quite remember, but yeah, I was, I was, I was with my brother or I was just after that and I was driving home. Um, and it was, I don't know. It was surreal to some extent. What about you? Where were you? How was your initial response? Oh, well, for me, I was, <laughs> I took a nap after church and I woke up and, you know, my cousin Andre messaged me and told me that, uh, no, he just said, you know, Kobe died. And I'm just like, okay, well, I, you know, I know other co I know other guys. I have friends with the name friends Kobe. And, yeah, yeah. So I'm just like, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fresh out of a, a, an hour nap and I'm thinking, um, is this a dream? Like, like in my head, like, you know, you know, when you you wake up and you're kind of like flustered and you're still trying to get your, your stuff together. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, well, Kobe died. I'm like, what? And then, and then I, you know, I check my um, WhatsApp and everybody starts messaging me. My phone starts blowing up. <sighs> and then um, I go to Instagram and like the the first 10, <laughs> the first 10 uh, posts are RIP, 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 RIP. And I'm just like, Ugh. I just put my phone down. I just put my phone down and I was just like, okay. You know, I didn't, I just said, all right, man, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go to the gym. I, like, that was my first default. My default was just like, yeah, I gotta go to the gym. Gotta go burn off some steam. Oh, man. I, I just, I just had to go to the gym. I had to get out of here. I gotta, I gotta go and, uh, yeah, burn off some steam. I gotta go hit something, uh, get on a heavy bag or something and just, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, so that's how I heard it. And, um, very sad news. Um, whole basketball community especially is like super devastated well you know 
and I don't know if this plays into it at all, but like, so yeah, yeah I, I realized now we, I was at my brother's and my brother, like his first comment was like, we just acknowledged LeBron for passing him. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. LeBron moved into third place all time scoring. Yeah. That the was night like before. on Saturday. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and that was my brother's first comment when, mm-hmm. when we like saw the news, mm-hmm. it was like, how, how does this happen? You know? And, and I just wonder like, I don't know. Does it, because he's already front of mind to some extent in the basketball community because of that, you know, transition in the records. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, I don't know. It just kind of makes it more like, you know, circumstances like lining up. It's just peculiar. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I know when you say the whole basketball community, it's crazy because I, I think this is probably. I mean, you know, the first almost um, athlete, or sorry, what I'm trying to say is, it's I'm I'm contrasting it in my mind with um, Roy Holiday for the Blue Jays, because for for us in Toronto, you know, that's a piece of news that when he passed, um, similar different scenario to some extent, he had a plane crash as well, um, and relatively young. But he wasn't known with the same, like, notoriety across the sport, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm thinking of it in regards to, like, modern era with regards to technology and, and the ability for news to spread. So when, when Roy Holiday passed, the news, I would say, probably sped at the same rate. But it wasn't as big because it wasn't an athlete with as much notoriety and and prestige obviously being third you know previously third all time in points he's obviously in a a different echelon of of most athletes that play professional sports um and and it's just you know you think about the grammys honoring him the raptor game they you know i liked that what the raptors did it was peculiar which is what i liked both teams ran out the shot clock because of being 24 seconds and and his number and everything um, you know, that sense of everybody knows it right away and, and essentially being able to be honored or remembered like the night that it happened, um, is, is intriguing. And, um, I think it almost makes the, the morning more intense because instantaneously like videos are coming out like today already you know tribute videos and different things or you're already seeing that content um which to some extent intensifies the morning mm-hmm. well that's why i um you know i had to stay off of uh social media for a bit <laughs> i saw your post you're like i'm out <laughs> yeah man i couldn't i couldn't handle it man i go i couldn't handle it like i, I like because like I, you know you on my social media, you know, it's a lot of basketball stuff, like a lot of like anything that has to do with basketball, uh, sneaker blogs, uh, ba- pers- basketball trainers, um, commentators, you know, all that stuff. Um, I follow them all. And so um, that was all of my feed. And I was just like, yo, I can't even I can't even I just I just came off of it and just been, you know, just just praying more like just more like praying and reflecting more um like reading my bible contemplating uh theodicies theodicy meaning uh philosophies on the problem of evil 
how do we reconcile the existence of uh, God and the pro and evil and um, how to console people in light um, in articulating a, th a theodicy that's encouraging the people. So I, for me, I was just trying to find um, a theodicy that was encouraging to me um, as a Christian. So there's a book called um, How Long, O Lord by D.A. Carson, which is about suffering. And he says in it, like, um, in, in counseling people who are grieved uh, as Christians, it's not always the wisest thing to uh, give them the right answer um, because that's not, um, it's not, a, it's not uh, comforting at that moment. What that person needs is a, a comfort. So the, the technical biblical answer to the whole issue is that all things are done to glorify Christ and that Christ is the ultimate reason for our existence and that's what all history is leading up to. Now, whether you believe or you don't believe um, that Christ is worth it, you know, it is what it is. Um, but the other aspect that's um, I find a little bit more less intense um, and comforting is that, you know, we, we weren't meant to die. And and that's a biblical concept that a lot of people have to recognize, um, that a lot of people recognize that at face value, that we um, we weren't meant to die, that death is unnatural. Uh, because of sin in the creation, we die. Um, but we all have a yearning to live um, and, and yeah, and not die. So this is just definitely a shock to see somebody lose their life and, and a bunch of people and in such a sad way um, so just a reminder that you know sin is real and it has um, corrupted the creation but there is a hope and that Christ will redeem his creation and um, there will be a new heavens and new earth and death will be defeated um, but yeah life is short too and that we have to make sure that we uh, express our love to our loved ones um, and um, learn to number our days as the scriptures teach um, and get our paperwork ready for the Lord. Now, as far as, you know, uh, Colby's walk, I don't know. I don't know where he was at or anybody was at on, on the plane. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would say you definitely, uh, I would say he seems to have come a long way from his, um, you know, uh, let's just say his days of, cheating on his wife uh, uh, oh yeah 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 debacle um mm -hmm. it just as a character right like i mean you know you look at the time of his career the age he was at when that happened i think it was right before the birth of his first kid um you know his daughter's 13 many years later but just you know you think of going through the beef with him and Shaq, and and just and all that stuff that that's so far behind him but you just see the character being different yeah. um to well, your point like i don't know where his walk was at but i just know he wasn't that young punk kid yeah. um and and the potential of you know his walk being vastly different uh than maybe some of his negative highlights is there's there's definitely some fruit there that would say at least at a minimum he matured uh did he know the gospel did he know the truth i don't know man it sucks that you know i can't answer that question but mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and 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 that's the that's the reality that uh, Christians got to wrestle with, you know, whether it's uh, Michael Jackson or whoever, you know, when 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 somebody who um, a, a 
legend, somebody who's famous dies, you know, the ball gets put in the Christian's court again and we got to start wrestling with, okay, whether you know the person was saved or not, you know, we don't know, but it's, it's, it's still a reality that hits home for Christians where we're like in the back of our head. Now, of course, you know, we don't want to be rude and come out in public and declare where the person was at. But in the, you know, in our hearts, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a grief where we're kind of like, Oh Lord, I hope, Lord, I pray. I, I hope, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was the case. Um, cause there's, you know, there's a lot of guys in the NBA who are Christians who don't, um, express it publicly. Um, that's what I've learned. So, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, not we'll all our Steph Curry and put <laughs> yeah, yeah, verses yeah, on yeah, their yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah. So, but but uh, but in light of all that, he's um definitely definitely a legend, and uh, he deserves his, his due respect for his uh, contributions, uh, not just to the basketball community, but um, I believe to humanity as a whole. And I, that, that's probably saying a lot, but you know, this is coming from um, a guy who has. Uh, a Kobe tattoo. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> so repent. I'm just kidding. It's a different podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So you know, um, for those of you guys who don't know, I'm I'm a big basketball guy. Um, I grew up playing a lot, and um, you know, there's a in the basketball community. You know, there's um there's a tagline we use. You know, we say ball is life. And so for me, prior to me uh, becoming a Christian, uh, basketball, ball was life for me. Um, And so, you know, when I was 23, uh, I got a tattoo of um, a silhouette of Kobe Bryant. And um, he has like a, it's a bit faded now, um, but you can still see it. so basically it's a silhouette of Kobe Bryant and he's um he's he's in midair and he's floating in the air and he's like making a no look pass. The reason why he's passing and not shooting is because I wanted to symbolize the giving of a gift and I want my play and my attitude to symbolize giving and sharing and being a team player. And then there's like angel wings on him and then there's a halo over his head which symbolizes basketball as a gift from god to me and at the top it says guardian and at the bottom it says angel and so the word guardian the word guard is in uppercase and the um, i-a-n at the end is in lowercase emphasizing um basketball yeah emphasizing the position that i play um and that um basketball was that thing that uh kept me on the straight and narrow (laughs) <laughs> um as as in, in my younger days that was my thing so yeah i have that uh tattoo on my arm who knows i might get it touched up again um on my left bicep but yeah um but, but i i share that because um you know for some people yes this, this, it's a tragedy that you know kobe went out the way he did along with his daughter uh but for like the basketball community man like like a philosopher is gone. Like we're not, we're not, we're not praising Kobe just for him being a great athlete, but for those who really followed him, um, we followed his philosophies on competing and how to work hard and mental toughness. Um, And that's the Mamba mentality. And I, you know, I always annoy my wife about that 
where you know <laughs> when i'm you know when she's having her down days or you know we're at the gym together you know i'm always telling her i'm like look man yo man you got to check in you got to check in you know and you got to have that <laughs> mamba mentality and uh, you know i always say to her well you think it's easy being kobe's teammate you think it's easy <laughs> <laughs> you know so so um so the mamba mentality is the book i have and it's a uh, kobe bryant the mamba mentality how i play so the way the book breaks down is it has the the forward by Pau Gasol, an introduction Pau Gasol, one of his teammates. Um, introduction by Phil Jackson, one of his coaches, and then it has the process, the craft, facts and figures, chronology, and then afterward by um, Andrew B. Bernstein, who's the photographer. So the book is a beautiful book, first of all. It's a beautiful book in that um, it was well designed. Um, it has like this like glossy kind of finish, um, but I messed up the glossy finish with my greasy fingerprints, so it's not as uh, smooth and crisp. Soft, as it, bro, <laughs> as, it, as it used to look. Um, but the book is. Um, I always just on on that. I not. I always pull dust jackets off books. Oh no 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 no! It didn't, I know, it didn't I know, come I, with one. I know this doesn't have one, but oh. like. I was just saying, like, for that reason, it's like, you know, there's a level of, like, I want to keep the book in pristine, mm. you know, condition. So I always pull the dust jacket off and then, you know, I'll put it back on when I put it back on the shelf mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. anyways. So, yeah, so it's, it's a beautiful book. Um, well put together. Every page has, like, these unique pictures um, throughout Kobe's career um, from his rookie year to um, his, his last game. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's just it's a very, very, very beautiful book. Uh, it's pretty big. It's pretty thick. It's one of those uh, pieces that you definitely uh, leave on your coffee table type thing. From when people come in, you know, the first thing they're going to grab besides before the remote is uh, the shiny mm-hmm. book with Kobe on it. So that's pretty, that's pretty dope. Um, yeah, it helps that it's it's visually, you know, it's it's so much graphics, right? That like even if you're not re- you don't have time to read it when you're at your buddy's house, you can flip through it and check the pics and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and you know, and it's just one of those things. Just looking at those pictures of him when he first got to the league. So for me, uh, Kobe got to the came into the league at, in 1996, and he was he declared for the draft when he was 17. So okay, that's already making headlines. A couple years prior to that, Kevin Garnett declared for the draft. And again, I'm I'm sharing this to give more context to those who don't know who Kobe is, and would like to learn more about the person. So, basically, Kobe's 17 years old, declaring for the draft. This is 1996. 1996, I'm in grade nine, and I'm 14 years old. So that's my connection to Kobe. So I'm trying to make it. You know, me and my peers, my you know, all all the guys are trying to make it that I'm running with. And there's a guy three years older than us, and this guy just declared for the draft. Like he just made an announcement. He's like, yo, I'm going to skip college and I'm going straight to the NBA. <laughs> now, Kevin mm-hmm. Garnett, who's seven feet tall, six eleven or seven feet tall, who declares for the draft. Usually guys who jump from high school to the NBA are usually big guys. That's a no brainer. But Kobe was the smallest person to declare at six foot six. Um, so, you know, everybody was kind of skeptical about that, him doing that jump. Um, but, there was definitely a confidence that he had 
And when he would, you know, do his interviews and people would ask him about, you know, you know, the pressure that, that he's under. And, you know, he would say things like, you know, there's no such thing as pressure. He's like, you know, you know, pressure is what you put on yourself, but there's no such thing as pressure. And he just had this confidence um, that a lot of people didn't like. <laughs> um, and the ambition, even there's a story, there's a, there's a story where Shaq says when he first met Kobe and Kobe said to him, he said, yeah, like, um, I'm going to be better than Michael Jordan. And Shaq, mm. Shaq was says, whoa, calm down. He said, calm down. And, and like in the black basketball community, like that's almost like blasphemous to say, you know, you're going to be better than the best. Yeah. than Jordan, you know what I mean? It was just, it was just one of those things where, um, you know, it sounded kind of, arrogant but that's kind of the headspace that kobe was in um he grew up in italy uh, so he speaks fluent italian his dad played in the nba but then his dad um ended up uh no longer played in the nba so he went over to italy and so that's where kobe grew up he learned the game there uh and then he came over to the u.s and played uh ball in philadelphia so he moved back to the u.s in philadelphia and went in his teen years and then he kind of went from there but what's unique about his story that's not in the book is that uh when he came back to america he was behind basketball wise and when he was 12 he played in the summer league and so his dad's well known and so is his um uncle they're well known in philadelphia and you know and so everybody knows who kobe is you know that's jelly beans son and so kobe's like there and he's playing in the league and he doesn't score one point the whole the whole league the whole um season and and he said it was embarrassing it was embarrassing that you know jelly beans son can't you know can't even score a point you know because the guys in, in the u.s were just a lot better than the, the kids in italy and kobe said that was a turning point for him because when his well his dad came to him and his dad said, I love you regardless of how many points you score. I don't, I don't care about that. I love you and mm. that's all that matters. It doesn't matter how, many, how much points you score. And then Kobe said like, yeah, it was just a burden lifted off his back. But then he said, F that. I want to I wanna get some points. He's like, that's nice. He's like, that's nice. My dad loves me and accepts <laughs> me. But he's like, yeah, this is not happening ever again. And so he started calculating as a little kid. He started calculating a window for himself to get better because he knew he wouldn't get better in a year. So he just started calculating um, that if he worked a certain amount of hours, he'd be able to catch up to the guys mm. that, he, that were better than him. And so think about it this way. And I share this story because this is very important. So from like age 12 to 17, he went from scoring zero points to declaring for the NBA draft. This is insane. And and it was him who just, he just made it up. He just made it up in his head to say, okay, you know, I'm done with this. I'm done with the zero point nonsense. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then every year he just kept improving and he just kept, and he said he had like a, a kill list. So all the, all the kids who were better than him, cause you know, you know, all the guys are nationally ranked and you know, who's who. Yeah. And then every time he just kept crossing off their names every time he got a chance to go up against them and he got a chance to prove that he was better than him. He just kept crossing out his names till he became the number one guy. 
And then after that, he mm. just declares for the draft at 17, and then he's basically in the league by 18. So, yeah, it's it, it's you know it's funny you like I mean you've been talking about it. I'm assuming you'll talk about it a little bit more. But his, you know, his practice mentality, um, legendary today, legendary. It, well, yeah, it's legendary. But it, it came up today with um, Nick Nurse on uh, TSN Overdrive. They asked him about it because you know in today's game you don't practice the same way no right i mean it's in and in sports in general this isn't just i mean the the leafs have you know if you look at the leafs the scenario with them firing mike babcock and replacing their coach is a is very much uh some of that passing of the guard in that regard mm-hmm. um so the new you know coach slash gm slash a number of things is much more about skills practice as opposed to um, let's call it the old school way of practicing mm-hmm. uh, for hockey. And I, I presume you have a similar... Um, so the question w- that was posed to, to him was like, how would that translate? Uh, and he basically just said, you know, they still practice as hard. They just practice differently. Um, and he made the comment that you see a lot less one-on-ones um, in practice today than you would have historically. Um, so I just find it interesting that you know, even though we have a much different method of practicing, I don't think you would have seen much different in his mentality, mm-hmm. in his approach. He just would have been practicing in a different manner. Yeah. So this is okay. So I'm going to read to you a, a section from his book. So this is um, yeah, a section from his book. My midnight workouts have become a thing of legend. They were always purposeful. They were born from a mix of obsession and real-world responsibilities. I always felt like if I started my day early, I could train more each day. If I started at 11, I'd get in a few hours. Rest for four hours and then get back to the gym around 5 to 7. But if I started at 5 a.m. and went until 7, I could go again from 11 until 2 and then from 6 until 8. By starting earlier, I'd set myself up for an extra workout each day. Over the course of a summer, that's a lot of extra hours in the gym. At the same time, starting early helped me balance basketball and life. When my kids woke up in the morning, I was there and they wouldn't even know I had just finished at the gym. At night, I'd be able to put them to bed, then go out, go work out again during my own time, not theirs. I wasn't willing to sacrifice my game, but I also wasn't willing to sacrifice my family time. I decided to sacrifice sleep, and that was that. That's, that's crazy to hear because I was like, okay, so when does he sleep? <laughs> As you're reading it, like I'm waiting for you. Like, but, but it's good he said it. The quote has it because, you know, it's, it's, it's honorable that he's, you know, at the same time because recognizing the necessity of responsibilities that he can't give up. So where did, where's it going to give? Yeah. Right? yeah. Rather, than, rather than sacrificing his, you know, fatherhood responsibilities and and family responsibilities he's he's sacrificing his own personal time to do the things he needs to do yeah and and 
like even he, when we talk about his uh, daughter who played Gigi and he used to talk about like parents teaching their kids how to be hard workers and he said there's no way to teach your kid to be a hard worker but to show them how it's done mm. so when he retired he started working out with his daughter in the mornings so they would get up early and, and they would do the workouts but you know he would say yeah that was daddy daughter time and mm. and it was important for her for me to show her what hard work looks like and how to do it and so they would do it together and then they eventually you know just of course became closer and closer but he says yeah the best way to teach your kid is is to actually show them what hard work Lead by looks example like. yeah and show them what it looks like because yeah when you really think about it like Hard work is a place is a hard place to go to push your body to push your mind, but if somebody's there kind of walking you through it, like, hey, you're not gonna die if you get up at four in the morning. Hey, you're not gonna die by um, doing an extra push up. You're not gonna die by doing this extra sit up, right? Mm -hmm. So this is is very 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 um, encouraging uh, to hear to see hear him uh, talk about his time that he put in the gym, but also with his family. Now this next quote is about greatness and he says this if you really want to be great at something you have to truly care about it if you want to be great in a particular area you have to obsess over it a lot of people say they want to be great but they're not willing to make the sacrifices necessary to achieve greatness they have mm. other concerns whether important or not and they spread themselves out that's totally fine after all Greatness is not for everybody. That's heavy. And in one of his interviews that I was watching one time, um, you know how we use the term being a creative? Because once um, Kobe retired, um, he started writing children's books. So he became mm. a storyteller. And um, yeah, so he writes children's books and he has a little podcast called The Punies. But he, he, he talked about like, there's ideas of creatives, but he doesn't surround himself with creatives. He sound, he surrounds himself with obsessives. So he doesn't use that kind of language. He's like, look, the people that I surround myself with that I work with on, on these stories and, and working on the soundtrack for these um, short films that I do, I like to work with people who are obsessive. Same thing when he's on the court. If you're not obsessive about your craft, you and Kobe are going to have problems. <laughs> and they'll and that that's what made him legendary because yeah he just didn't get along with some of his teammates and you know and there was one video um that surfaced at practice where yeah kobe was yeah cussing his teammates out he was just laying into them um basically bullying them uh jeremy lynn was one of those guys as much as you know we love jeremy lynn and you know he's a christian guy yeah he got on jeremy lynn you know, he got on a lot of guys. He got on uh, Smush Parker, who's a New York streetball legend. But even then, Kobe didn't didn't favor him and gave him a hard time. And that was and that and that was Kobe. Kobe like expected a lot from his teammates, and he was very he was a very difficult guy to um, you know get along with. Just ask Shaq. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, because even like there was a sit down that he had with um, Shaq and Shaq. Um, said this and Shaq admitted he said look man like in the summer you know after they win a championship you know Kobe is on his regular grind and you know working hard and and Shaq said he wouldn't he would always come to you know um, come back 
to the um to the team out of shape. So during the off season, he was just always he said, yeah, like he'd be celebrating all summer, like you know, just eating cheeseburgers and drinking and hanging out and partying, and then he would play himself into shape while <laughs> during the season. But he said, yeah, he's like the reason why he did that, and he said to Kobe, the reason why I did that is because you were my teammate. I already knew you were gonna come prepared, so he would carry us part of the way while I got myself in shape, and then I'd be ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yo, Shaq is funny. Shaq's like, yeah, man, I have the mambo on my team. I'm okay. I can, I can eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> oh. Yeah, legendary, man. So, no, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the next quote is uh, he talks about um, the people who work on him. So he talks about uh, his his physio person, Judy Sito. And he has a tape guy named Gary Vetti. And so throughout the book, he, he, he gives, there's pictures of him with these particular people. And he gives this commentary about them. And he says this about Judy Sito. When I was a rookie, Judy Sito was a young up-and-comer. One time, after a tweaked ankle, she was assigned to me. It immediately became apparent to me that she was as obsessive about training as I was about basketball. And we formed an immediate and, uh, and unbreakable bond. Over the years, we both continued to learn and grow in our individual crafts. In doing so, we were able to push each other to be our best. It's safe to say I would not have been able to play as well or as long without her as my physical therapist. She helped me recover from every single surgery I ever had. And she was always there for me. Literally. Whether it was a family vacation to Italy or a Nike trip to China, Judy came with me. She was that indispensable. And then for Gary Vetti, he says this. First of all, Gary was an Italian craftsman with tape. He just made art <laughs> out of tape jobs. You can tell when people love what they do. And he loved his craft. No matter where the tape was going, finger, ankle, he made it look beautiful. If the tape had bubbles or bumps, Gary would unwrap it and start again. Everything had to be smooth, had to be perfect. He was a master, and I gave him a lot of opportunities to practice. They were obsessive about their own crafts, which made it easy for me to trust them. Once I started them, once I trusted them, I listened to my body. And it told me they were doing good work. I felt better, stronger, and more prepared when I worked with them. You know, it's funny because, I mean, to some extent, he's talking about them being at the top of their class. But it's greatness attracts greatness is kind of what, what runs through my head. You know, how much is it? You know, he's draw because of his character and his persona mm -hmm. and the, you know, that he puts forth that people like that are drawn to, to him. And in the sense that, you know, they want to work around him, they want to work with him. Uh, and he wants to work with them because he sees it in them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's just a reflection of the kind of person he is and, and, and the way he conducted his business. Mm hmm. Right. Okay. Now here's this next section, which is which is pretty. F I don't know. I'll I'll let you put a word to it <laughs> when I read okay. this. So, 
Okay, so he's talking about his relationship with referees. And he's talking <laughs> about basically um, treat them as people. Um, and part of his strategy to winning and playing well was not just also befriending them and being respectful to them and, and, and building a rapport, but also studying what they studied. And listen to what he said. I made a point of reading the referee's handbook. One of the rules I gained from it was that each referee has a des designated slot where he's supposed to be on the floor. If the ball, for instance, is in place W, referees X, Y, and Z each have an area on the court assigned to them. When they do that, it creates dead zones, areas on the floor where they can't see certain things. I learned where those zones were. I took advantage of them. I would get in. I would get away with holds, travels, and all sorts of minor violations simply because I took the time to understand the officials' limitations. Oh. Reading is fundamental. Oh, that's genius. Just like so, uh, I'll contrast this with it's it's totally different, but but it's in, it's similar. So there, I was listening to a podcast with Wayne Gretzky recently. Mm -hmm. And and they were talking about I don't know if they they he brought it up in a story or they were talking about it, um, uh, after the interview, basically when Gretzky was a kid, his dad made him sit down and trace where the puck was. During a game, so he would literally sit there with like a shape of a, a rank picture, and just sh trace where the puck is the whole game. What do you mean trace? Like with a pencil, just wherever the puck was, he would draw. He would basically go to there on the like picture of a hockey rink. Yeah. Okay. So the puck's in the corner. Put the puck in the you know draw the puck in the or, and then move his pencil wherever the puck went. Mm -hmm. And and you know it's a similar mentality, but it it taught okay, it started to mentally train him as a kid. I don't go where the puck is. I go where the puck is going. And just thinking about the game differently, and so I'm just drawing a parallel mm -hmm. to thinking mm -hmm. about things differently. Mm -hmm. um, and and the elite, the great players in the game, just have this uniqueness to the way that they do things, right? Like, so Kobe's reading the where the refs are, or what the refs are going to be doing in order to exploit them, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, and 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 you know, did it make a difference? You know. Is that the reason he's fourth on the all-time scoring list instead of fifth? You know, does that make a difference in the number of championships? Like, you know, probably not. Um, or probably because he's done well, it. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, he's a thousand, you know, fifteen hundred points roughly above of Jordan in, in the all-time scoring list. Mm -hmm. You know, is that the difference? I don't know. Maybe, but but if anything, it, it's potentially a game here or there you know, two points difference, right? Or even think of it more in the sense of the things he's getting away with, the other team getting frustrated. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because how are you getting away with this, right? With it, Think of it like pulling on a guy's jersey for a half second. Mm -hmm. how, do, how, how He was able to get away with that. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing this part of the court is where I can get away with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very fascinating. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now this next part is about the Mamba mentality, which is what the, the book is called. Initially, I thought the phrase Mamba mentality was just a catchy hashtag that I started on Twitter. Something witty and memorable. 
but it took off from there and came to be or came to symbolize much more. The mindset is about seeking a result. It's more about the process of getting to that result. It's about the journey and the approach. It's a way of life. I do think that it's important in all endeavors to have that mentality. Whether I hear an elite college or MBA player or a Fortune 500 CEO reference the Mamba mentality, I find it very meaningful. When I see people talk about finding inspiration in it, it makes all of my hard work, all of the sweat, all the 3 a.m. workouts feel worth it. That's why I put together this book. All these pages incorporate lessons, not just lessons on basketball, but also the menta- the Mamba mentality. You know, it isn't just that we lost, you know, Kobe, the basketball player, but, you know, we, we lost, you know, a philosopher. And his way of thinking, uh, like J- Jordan, which is also along the same lines of Jordan, but Jordan, uh, you know, didn't pin it down or... or um, structured as, as as kobe did but he didn't like proselytize it to some extent Mm -hmm. right but uh and 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 so that's why you see now like when kobe retired uh you he had the mamba academy and now you have uh players calling him up asking him to like hey can i work out with you kobe can you can you teach me some things well of course kobe could teach them now because he's not playing they're not his competition anymore and now he's passing on this Mamba mentality um, and, 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 and the skill set uh, that he's passing it on to the new, newer generation. Um, Kawhi Leonard was working yeah. when, when we, you know, the, before he got here to Toronto, he was working out with Kobe. Giannis won the MVP, working out with Kobe. Kyrie working out with Kobe. Uh, you know, and, and, and the list goes on. So which is which is really dope to see that. You know, Kobe was passing on 20 years of his studiousness onto the next generation. Yeah. No, it's 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 awesome to, you know, I mean, it's sad at the same time, but it's, you know, I always find it intriguing when you see former players get involved with the game, but even more so when it's the greats. Mm-hmm. Oh, like yeah. The guys oh, yeah. That are, like, you know, for a while, Gretzky was coaching. Um, and then there was a bit of a debacle with regards to the team he was coaching and everything kind of fell apart. But, you know, mm-hmm. I was intrigued by that, right? Just, oh, I want I want him to have success at another level. Uh, you right? know, and Joel, mean, doesn't it make you say like, oh, man, I want to play for Gretzky. Like the whole time yeah. I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, yo, I want to work out with Kobe. Like I, yeah. I, I want to, I don't even play anymore, but I'm like, yo, I want to, I want to work out with Kobe. I want to, you know, Kobe, even for like me watching Kobe play. And he'll be doing things where he'll just pump fake reverse pivot and be able to ask him about it, which is which is really cool. And he was open to doing that, and he was doing that with a lot of guys. Uh, the the NHL, there's a similar, a less uh, prominent player, but there's a guy. So Gary Roberts played for the uh, the Leafs. He has a crazy story where like he had to retire at like 31, 32 because of his back, but then started really working out and rehabbing, and basically got, was able to come back into the league, and now. You know, there's this running joke with hockey players like, oh, that guy needs to go to Gary Roberts training camp because and the most prominent example of this is um, you wouldn't necessarily know who he is. But but NHL fans would this guy, Steven Stamkos, plays for Tampa Bay Lightning. 
his between his first season and second season in the NHL, he was at Gary Roberts like development camp or training, and he went from a teenager who was like 150 pounds soaking wet to like a 200 pound man, mm-hmm. and and you know we see that like I I'm the joke for us as Lee fans is like Marner oh he needs to go to Gary Roberts training camp because like when he came into the league he was like seven you know he was well I guess he was 19 or I think he might have still been 18. But you looked at him, he was, like, so tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just like, okay, that guy needs to bulk up, right? Mm-hmm. Go to that guy's training camp. And and I, it sounds like Kobe was a little bit more of the mental thing side of the training, which I presume Gary Roberts is very, very much the same because for the guys that are trying to improve when it comes to training, it's not just putting in the work. There's such a mentality aspect you know, because putting in the work requires getting up at 4 a.m. to be there, you know, in order to work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. So this next part in the book is about a critical period for my development. And so this is a situation that I remember uh, vividly. Yeah, basically, I'll read it to you and then I'll explain to you uh, the whole situation. Well, expound on it. So he says this. At the end of my first season in the NBA, we had made it to the semifinals, up against Utah. But in the deciding fifth game, I let fly four air balls, and we lost our chance at the title. Those shots let me know that I needed to work what I need to work on most, my strength. That's all all the air balls did for me. In that game... Nerves weren't the problem. I just wasn't strong enough to get the ball there. My legs were spaghetti. They couldn't handle that long of a season. How did I respond to that? By getting on an intense weight training program. By the start of the next season, my legs and arms were stronger and I was ready to get get it on. In the immediate aftermath, I was never concerned by how the franchise or fans would react. I knew I would put in that work, which is what I did. In fact, as soon as we landed, I went to Pacific Palisades High School gym and shot all night long. I went back the next day and worked. And I worked and worked and worked. In my mind, it was never a matter of, oh no, I'll never get another shot at this. I felt that my destiny was already written. I felt I knew that my future was undeniable and no one, not a person or a play, could derail it. Okay. So, I was watching that game with my cousin Biggie. Kobe shot four air balls from three, from the three-point line in a game five deciding game. Man, I said, I said to my cousin, I was like, yo, man, this guy's trash. This guy's garbage. <laughs> this guy shouldn't even be in the NBA. I can't believe this. This guy's so gar. Oh man, I hate Kobe. I hate him. Man, I was so mad after that game. I was man. I was just like, yo, because I, you know, I was like, yo, I don't shoot four air balls. Like, come on, man. Yo, man, this guy, man, he made a mistake coming to the NBA. I remember that day. 
And then, you know, <laughs> right. And of course, then, you know, history unfolds. And now I, you know, I felt like Kobe was talking about me in this book because I was definitely actually a lot of people were very critical of him shooting four air balls because you figure if you shoot three air balls, the next time you get the ball, you should pass it. Or don't shoot from three. Or don't shoot from three. But he tried it again. And you're like, yo, bro, we're trying to win here. You're was like, who it, is this It wasn't kid? four in a row. Yes, it was. Four in a row. Four in a row. Air balls. Oh, okay. I, 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 when you were re- I was like, okay, wait. Four air ball. Four in a row, man. That just stings. No wonder he like. And you know, it's okay. I've heard this. I don't know where I heard this line, but it's, if I'm not winning, I'm learning. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the idea is that, in essence, you learn the most from your failures. Yeah. And, and, and that was the thing, man. And it was but even like you just look at his, his approach, like for most people, you know, you shoot you shoot uh, um, four air balls in a deciding game. Your life is over. Right. Your life is over and it's just downhill. But for him, that wasn't a stumbling block, but a stepping that was stone a start. Right, and it was the start of his greatness. Yeah, right, right. But but see, but th- this is why you know so many hoopers and and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies love love Kobe because you know you look at his life and you look at like the uh, roadblocks that he faced. He was always he always just found a way to overcome. And yes, yeah, we talked about uh, you mentioned uh, his rape case. Um, mm-hmm. and what I remember about that now, that's not mentioned in this book, um, which, you know, conveniently left out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, um, but if I could, if I could fill in that gap, um, yes. So he, um, the way how I saw it through my eyes is that Kobe, um, when he first came to the league, uh, he wasn't, he had this arrogance about him where he didn't part, he didn't fellowship with his teammates. He always mm. just. He always just kind of stayed off the side. Even though he was younger, even as he became of age and he was allowed to go out, he never went out with them. He never went out to drink with them. He was always carrying himself like he was better than them. Um, and he always had that aura that he was better than other people. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like he just doesn't get caught up in the stuff they get caught up in. And it's all about being professional and playing basketball. And then the rape case happens. Um, so when the rape case happens, you're just like, well, you know, Kobe's not that kind of guy. He doesn't go out. He doesn't do what those guys do. He's not like them. Um, but the truth is, yeah, he was guilty, not of rape, but, um, but of him having, uh, sex with outside of his marriage and committing adultery. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he cried on, um, you know, at the press conference and and confessed, confessed his sin, you know, and all that. And. Um, yeah, it was, it was just, it was just, oh man, it was just a blemish. He, um, you know, sponsors were dropping him as they would, you know, you're going to arenas, people are calling you, um, rapist, you know, and all kinds of names. And as he's playing, you know, within the season, you know, he's, he's flying back and forth to, to Denver for, for his court cases. Right. So there's just a lot of drama going on. He, you know, his, you know, his wife has left him and he's trying to get his wife back all this, but his play didn't drop. Yeah. His play, <laughs> this guy's it's, play did not drop. Well, and you know what? Uh, to me, and uh, maybe I'm, I mean, you think like, I, I don't know about you, but like some, in, in terms of my work, in terms of school, you know, some of the times that I perform the best is when I'm under the most stress. Mm-hmm. And some people like, 
I, I mean, I would say that for school-wise, like I did, you know, even work-wise, like I'm relatively confident. I think if I wasn't confident in myself in the particular scenario, stress would, would take me in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you think of a in, in referencing him, you know, I don't, you know, in terms of what you use, you know, the rape case, you know, was he guilty of rape? Was, you know. Well, they uh, settled I, out. They know. settled out. Exactly. And and when it, I, I saw the headline today, actually, when it came time for her to testify, she wasn't there. Now, was that because he paid her a sufficient amount of money that she was willing to not charge him? I don't know. You know, that's messed up. And, and it, you know, I hope that at the end of the day, it was a situation that, that you know, went out of control with regards to the legal system. But mm-hmm. maybe it was, you know, something that shouldn't have happened and, and he crossed a line that he didn't have to go to jail for. But regardless, he was clearly under stress but still able to perform. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of how bad it was or wasn't, um, you know, that burden, uh, as you've put it, didn't seem to hinder his play. No, no, he, he, and he's very good at uh, compartmentalizing. And and you know and, and and I think that's a big, I think that's a big takeaway, especially for, you know, people, just just the average everyday people. Like you know, we all have multiple things that we're trying to juggle, and sometimes certain things impact other things, whether it's um, your home life impacting your school life, impacting your workout and eating life, and so forth, and then impacting your spiritual life. Like at some point, you have to take control of the situation and accomplish the task at hand. So he has a job to do, and he has to play basketball and play it at a high level, and, and he was doing that even during um, that, that that difficult period in his career. So I thought that was um, pretty fascinating. Now, the next part, he talks about the agony of defeat is as low as the joy of winning is high. And he says this, mm. however, they're the exact same to me. I'm at the gym at the same time after losing 50 games as I am after winning a championship. It doesn't change for me. And I thought that was big, a big takeaway because like I look at myself and you know, the way I get motivated is through external means. Like, you know, uh, I, I get personally, I, I get motivated by, um, I know you guys are gonna think I'm weird, <laughs> but, I, but I get motivated by negativity. I don't really like encouragement. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't thrive under encouragement. I. I thrive under negativity and adversity. So when someone doubts you, oh, oh, <laughs> that's oh man. I just yeah, yeah. So for me, you know, I've always been that way. I, I rather be in a gym full of people that hate me than a full of gym of people that like me. Yeah, that's yeah. just that's just me. I was just kind of like using negative circumstances to to motivate me to 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 fight through and do well. But then I'm reading Kobe. I'm like, wait a minute. Kobe's just like, yo, I don't. Kobe's like, yeah, I don't. I don't need motivation. I don't need mm-hmm. it. I don't need negative. I don't need well, positive. His work ethic is is. I mean, if you have work ethic, a, st- a really strong work ethic, situations don't affect mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you so know, in, in <laughs> essence, it's talking about discipline, right? Like, 
you know, I was listening to uh, Jocko. I don't know if you know who Jocko is. No. Um, he's this, he's a machine to mm-hmm. some extent. Um, but he's all about work ethic. And it's like, it's a decision. You either decide to work hard or you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to some extent, this is what Kobe's exemplifying, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my my circumstances don't dictate how hard I work. I dictate how hard I work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and 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 um and and that should be, well, that's something that I took away. Um, when I read the book, I was like, okay, I need to stop. <laughs> I need to stop <laughs> being motivated by negative, looking for because you know looking for negative things to motivate me because it's funny because I'm like Shaq, so. So Shaq, <laughs> so here's a funny story about Shaq. So, so Shaq, um, he's retired now, right? And yeah. and he's and he apologized. He apologized to David Robinson. So for those of you who don't know David Robinson, David Robinson is uh, another you know NBA player who, um, who played the same position as Shaq, and he's a Christian guy first and foremost. He's a Christian guy, and his nickname is the Admiral. Why? Because he served in the Navy before he came. Um, to the NBA. So he served his country. He's praising the Lord. He's an upstanding guy, right? <laughs> and so during uh, Shaq's career playing as David Robinson, he said he said this. He said, um, I remember when I was a little kid and I went to San Antonio because Shaq grew up in San Antonio. Um, his father was in the military. I'm stepfather. So he was in San Antonio for a time. He says, yeah, I went to a game and, and I saw David Robinson and I asked him for an autograph and he said no. So Shaq says, because he told me no, now I'm, you know, now when I see him, now that I'm in the NBA, you know, I'm going to make his life a living hell. And he, <laughs> and so Shaq would always tell that story. And then Shaq, in the interview, he's like, oh, by the way, I was lying about that. <laughs> he's, he's like, sorry, David. <laughs> I was like, yo, this guy was like, yo, people were hating David Robinson for so long. People were like, yo, what a friggin' jerk. Right, oh. didn't sign the kid's autograph, but then you know, but you know, for those people who are thinking, wait a minute, but Dave Robinson served our country. He, you know, is a Christian guy, is an upstanding guy. Why would he not sign, you know, a fellow, you know, tall kids, you know? Yeah, like, why wouldn't you want to inspire him by just giving him that? Yeah, signature? give him a signature. But but Shaq, but Shaq was lying. But Shaq said, yeah, I used to make stuff up to motivate myself. I used to make make up negative things to motivate myself. And so, <laughs> so Shaq, yo, Shaq's a legend in his own right, man. It's hilarious. Oh, yeah. But but he he apologized to David. He's like he said he said yeah, sorry, Mrs. Robinson, sorry, David, sorry, man. He's like sorry, mom. You know, I just needed some motivation. <laughs> so, all right. So lastly, now, um, uh, uh, Kobe. I know. So okay. So lastly, um, the book closes out with this section. And it's, uh, basketball took me everywhere. The game provided me with every opportunity that I ever imagined it would. And along the way, I learned an innumerable amount. I'm not just speaking about on the court either. Without hoops, I would not understand how to create or write. I would not understand human nature, nor would I know how to lead. The game, in essence, taught me the art of storytelling. Without it, I would not have an Emmy. I would not have an Oscar. I would not have creative dreams and visions still to unfold. Yeah, basketball took me everywhere. Now I'm taking the game everywhere. 
Mamba mm. out. Um, so it's the book is pretty dope because like he gives commentary in his pictures, um, really great pictures of him um, going up against some of the um, NBA greats, up against Michael Jordan, and then he would give his commentary about playing with playing against Michael Jordan, and how um, you know he would you know talk to to uh, Michael Jordan throughout the game, not trash talk, but really ask him questions while they're playing, like how did you do that? How'd you get that off? Hmm. Right. He was all. He was always asking Michael about like, okay, wait, hold on. That last play you just did right there. What did you do? How did How you did stop you me on that? that? Pardon? How did you do that? Yeah. So, but but part of it was the one thing I learned about this book, from this book, and about Kobe is that Kobe asked a lot of questions. He always had a lot of asked a lot of questions, and I think in well, not think, and I know in God's providence, he put all those greats around him so he was able to pick their minds because yeah you can be around great guys but you're sometimes there's pride where you don't want to ask them for help you don't want to you know ask them because you don't or or Mm. you're so Mm -hmm. starstruck but kobe was so hungry to be great he was always you know picking the brains of people and calling them up and, and and having them as mentors so for example jerry west jerry west is the guy who general manager who drafted kobe um in, in the NBA draft. Now, for those of you who don't know who Jerry West is, Jerry West is the guy on the NBA logo. Oh. Okay. That's Jerry West. <laughs> He's the guy on the NBA logo. And so, you know, when Kobe, Kobe said when he got picked up um, for his first workout with the Lakers, he was in the car with Jerry West. And Kobe said, like, I know I probably annoyed him and I probably wasn't going to be drafted by them. I just had to ask him a ton of questions about the games he used to play in and how he was able uh, to do what he did. And same thing with Magic. When he met Magic, he was asking Magic a ton of questions about how he was, how he, you know, was Magic. Michael Jordan, the same mm. thing. Bill Russell, the same thing. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the same thing. And he was always picking their brains to be great. He was, he just, he was just obsessed about it. And that's why those guys were so forthcoming with the information because he was just hungry to be great. And ask, and he was always just picking their brains and asking questions. You know, so mm-hmm. he was definitely a student of the game, and 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 that's what I think contributed. It wasn't just him being physically gifted, but also just mentally. He was just, um, as we say, I don't know what what term you guys use in hockey, but um, in the basketball community, we use the term dog. So we say, "Yo, he got that dog," or "This guy's a dog," meaning that. Um, like like a, like a dog in a dog fight, they're just they just get after it, mm. right? They're just very over like they're just aggressive, like that alpha male personality. And I know you know today you yeah, know I mean, we're very um, careful about yeah. toxic masculinity. Well, I was gonna say in hockey, it's it's a it's a different animal because I mean you've got like I would say you've got the term grinder in hockey which is generally more about a guy who works really really hard Mm -hmm. but he's on the fourth line Mm -hmm. and 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 the reason is like because you know in hockey to some extent it's i mean it's much more of a team game right so the hard worker is creating space for the talented skilled guy to make a play no no, 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 no. And and like I just mean it doesn't like there's a bit of a contrast, but I think um 
you know, just because to some extent you're talking about a dog, right? Like in terms of the work, just just going hard. Well, well, not just going hard. That's that's not what we're talking about. Okay. I'm, not talking, I'm not talking about going hard. I'm talking about the skill and aggressiveness. Going hard and letting you know that, like I'm, I'm. Remember how? Remember you know you follow me on Twitter and you know I talk, yeah. I used to be using the term bully ball. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, right. So basketball, we use the term bully ball. So, so being a dog is not just physically imposing your will, but also psychologically imposing your will, letting everybody know that I'm the man and I'm going to do whatever I want. And there's nothing you guys can do about it. Okay. Yeah. Like it's just an all out, <laughs> you know, it's just an all out bully ball where, yeah, he's letting you know, like, yo, you're too little. You need to get your weight up. Mm. Right. So it was, it's just, so, so it's just a lot to be able to take on somebody like that. And that's why you asked me like, okay, you asked me about bully ball and I love bully ball. Right. (laughs) For the, for the audience, like for the audience member, I'll I'll contextualize my chirp too. Cause there there was a picture. I think you shared this, like, you know, 12 year old who was like taller than everybody uh, he was eight just he was eight uh eight, Kendrick oh, yeah. perkins son Kendrick perkins son he's <laughs> yeah eight. yeah he's like towering over everybody he just like goes down the court like oh get out of my way just like put it in so my chirp to you was like oh that's why you don't like bully ball because i was like oh you were getting pushed around because you were the small guy on the court mm-hmm. that was my chirp because you know based on your size now i presume <laughs> yeah but <laughs> you know. no yeah but but no but that's what i was trying to correct you like the reason but then I, I sent you another tweet. I tweeted another yeah. tweet, and I said, "No, this is why I like bully ball," because it was a it was a, a clip of Zach Randolph, um, and Demarcus yep. Cousins. So Demarcus Cousins, for you guys who don't know, Demarcus Cousins is a bully. He's a bully, <laughs> yeah. right? But then Zach Randolph, you know, he he says he says to him, "You hear the the mic is on on the court," and he says to him, "He says, hey, where I'm from, my hood, bullies get bullied. Mm-hmm. Bullies get bullied." And then he turned to the ref. He said, yo, where I'm from, bullies get bullied. And the reason why I love bully ball is because, yo, you got to stand up to the bully. Yeah, it's... it's uh, You got to stand up. You know, a, a battle of the will yeah, or a war but, of attrition. But see, but this, is, but this is what's key about the Mamba mentality. So when Kobe would have teammates, he would go after them. Why? Because mm-hmm. he had to know what you were made of so he can rely on you when times got tough. If mm-hmm. he comes after you and you back down, then you can't be his teammate. Yeah, and you know what's funny? Like, I know you made a reference to toxic masculinity, masculine, toxic masculinity earlier, and this is where I think, you know, the 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 sort of like jabbing that that men do at times, whether it be in work or in sport, that gets a bad name, mm-hmm. but it's a lack of understanding, like exactly what you just said, right? If if I give you a hard time and you can't take it. I can't trust you that when times are tough, you're going to have my back. Right. Right. Or even, but even then, but even like it's, it's still, um, a point where if you stand up, then he won't come after you anymore. And that's what Kobe was wanting to see. So Karan Butler, one of his teammates, um, that he was really close with, he said, yeah, when Karan Butler came to the team, you know, I came at him and he came right back at me and I said, okay, this is my guy. Right, he came at Jeremy Lin, and Jeremy Lin backed down. Back down, and he's like, "Okay, no, nah, no, nah, I can't, I can't roll with Jeremy Lin." Smush Parker came, he backed down. So, for me, and that's why I said I enjoy 
um, bully ball because at some point you got to stand up to the bully. You got to stand up to the bully. And that's and that's a life lesson um, that we can take away that, you know, bullies only pick on people that are nice and quiet and can't defend themselves. As soon as they say you can defend yourself and you're not going to have none of that nonsense, they back off. And then there's a mutual respect there. We're like, okay, yeah, like I can come at you, but yo, you're not going to come and push me around. Right. So, mm-hmm. so this is, th- this was the toughness and this is what a lot of the guys in, in, in the basketball community loved about Kobe and, you know, guys being his teammate learned and a lot of younger guys who, who um, were, were being mentored by him. They learned like, yeah, like, yeah, Kobe's going to come at you and you can't back down. And this is a life lesson also off the court um, that you can't back down and you can't make excuses. So real quick, again, um, the Mamba mentality and Kobe. And I want to show you guys, the listeners, like how ingrained this Mamba mentality is. Um, well, for me, in that, like I was talking with somebody, I'm not going to say their name because of, you know, the Sixth Sense report. We talk a lot about political stuff and social justice stuff and the person said to me um, aren't you moved by the uh, disenfranchised black people um, and 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 the um, difficulties that they're under and I said to her I said honestly because of the way I was raised I don't have a framework for interpreting disenfranchisement whether black, white, brown, or yellow. I, I don't have a framework for that. From a little boy, my daddy taught me that life sucks and that life is hard and that you can't expect people to come and save you or um, that people owe you anything and that you got to work and you got to grind and you got to survive. It's all about survival. As a hooper and playing for the coaches I played for, I was raised not to make excuses, to grind and get yours. That's, that, that's, that's what we did when we hooped. Those were the coaches that I played for, right? Those mm. were the guys I was surrounded with. There was just no excuses, regardless for yeah, anything. no excuses. That was it. Yeah. You just grind. Like, I, like, to this day, I don't have a framework for excuses, Everyone's going to have a hardship. Everyone's going to have, you know, no matter how good people have it, you know, you know, you might have a million dollars, but you lose a parent, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What, like whatever cons, you know, no matter how good you have it, there's, you know, most people at some point in time are going to run into something that, Mm -hmm. that is easily a reason to, you know, fold up and quit. Right. And, and also, you know, like now that's not to say you win every time. Like there's times where I've lost and I have underperformed. But that's on me. You know, you take your L, you learn from it. You take your loss. For those of you don't know what an L is. You take your loss, <laughs> you learn from it, and you build from it. But it, mm-hmm. there, there, isn't, there isn't a thing, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. Um, if you work hard, you study your craft, you pray, you can get the job done. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and, and I said to her, like, I don't want to be insensitive because, you know, I understand, you know, not everybody is wired that way. So, I'm not going to look down on anybody who thinks differently in those aspects. But I'm just saying for me personally, I don't have a framework for that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when we ball, when we hoop, you know, we rise and grind and we work and that's it. There's no excuses. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what I and that's what I took away from Kobe. So, 
you know, again, you know, with, with Kobe passing, um, yeah, it hit me pretty hard um, because of uh, the, the many lessons, the life lessons I, I, I learned from him. And it's also sad because, you know, he was he was imparting that knowledge, just not not just in NBA players, but in his daughter and in women's basketball. And he was I know he was he was planning on taking, you know, women's basketball to the next level and giving it um, that cosign that women's basketball needed because, you know, women can hoop. Yeah, well, you know what's crazy? I was watching uh, T Mac for like five minutes, just randomly turn on Sportsnet or uh, TSN today, mm-hmm. um, and and T Mac was like pretty much in tears talking about it. But he was like, he was basically saying like his daughter was was built like Kobe, mm-hmm. like, and so in this you know in sense of what you were talking about taking women's basketball to the next level, like he had this prodigy mm-hmm. that he could. You know, it wasn't just his name, like his his words. He was going to be, you know, riding his hopefully his daughter's coattails to to take the game to the next level. Yeah, yeah, and also or, Zach, or using Zach, her. Yeah, right? and Zach Randolph's daughter also played um for the um his his uh daughter's the team. Same. So he was coaching the girls, and actually he was planning to uh, keep those girls. So he wasn't, you know, like at the end of the season, you start off with a new team and you bring in new players. Oh, like you, well, depend. Yeah, you might coach the same age group and they move on. And yeah, you, yeah, you keep- yeah. So he was planning to stay with that age group, mm. and he was teaching them everything. He had them running the Lakers uh, triangle offense, um, working on their fundamentals. Like just, he was just, he was just, he had that. Those were his girls, and I said to myself, I was like, wow. man, if I had a daughter and she was on that team, I'd be like, look. Look, you're not you're not doing anything else. Whatever Kobe says, you do. Follow him. That, yeah, yeah. That's it. You know what I mean? So for all those yeah, girls yeah. who were under his wing, I'm sure their fathers and their mothers were like, "Look, whatever you do, do not screw this up." You know, cuz just to yep. be a part to be uh connected with Kobe, um you know, you would just definitely learn the game. Um so yeah, it's definitely um a sad situation um that happened and you know, man, life is short and, you know, all the money in the world um, can't protect you. Because even I thought to myself, you know, the safest place, one of the safest places you would assume would be with Kobe. You know, and yeah, whatever yeah. helicopter he would be in would be the most safest thing. Um, And, you know, of course, you know, we know that that wasn't the case. And it's very sad, but it's also, you know, it just drives home the point that, you know, God is sovereign and is appointed for every man to die once and then face judgment and that we're not in control and that no money in the world um, can prevent us from, um, you know, just life happening. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it's very sad. And, and, and uh, you know, we got to keep uh, Vanessa and, and the rest of his the girls in prayer. Um, it's definitely a tough time. And... Yeah, I I hope uh, you guys enjoyed uh, the reading of the book, and I hope you guys uh, learned something about the great Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I just you know it's I think for me this conversation and and just it reiterates that idea of of the necessity of hard work. I think you know your conversation with your friend, you know I I think too many people fail to recognize. You know, the most successful people you know in your life probably are the hardest. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's exceptions, but in general, they are the hardest working mm-hmm. people you disciplined, know. Disciplined. Disciplined and hard work. You know, and th- and that's that's really what, um, you know, encompasses Kobe. Yeah. 
Uh, and I just, you know, my last thing, I just want to give a shout out, you know, my buddy uh, that I went to university with, Ahmed, like, I always remember him being a huge Kobe fan, like, just, you know, right, like, almost want to say, like, ride or die with Kobe kind of thing, like, no matter what, you know, um, and, like, that's the guy I had to message as soon as I heard this, and he was like, I was just like, yo, what's going, you know, how, what, did you hear, whatever, and he's like, man, I couldn't sleep last night, mm-hmm. you know, similar to your situation, I mean, he's out, you know, he's in, like, Dubai, Kuwait kind of area now. And so he probably found out like as he was about to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, just I, with the time change. Yeah. So. And I, I know for me, oof, you know, when they put the funeral on TV, I think I think I might possibly cry. I really think that I'll probably wa- I'll watch it and then and then I'll I'll probably, you know, shed a tear or two. Um, you know, it is what it is, man. And just make sure you guys love, love, love your loved ones. Kiss your kids. Kiss your wives. My my wife was, you know, my mom. My wife can't stop kissing me now. She's always grabbing me and hugging me and kissing me, and and I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, oh, yes, yeah. So. yeah my, you know, my message to my buddy was like, you know, our time is limited, right? After he said what he said about like it's unreal. He's basically said like, man, couldn't sleep yesterday. Unreal, Joel. And I just, you know, the only thing I could say was like, our time is limited. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. because so, 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 get, so get your paperwork right yeah well and and you know as as christians right like the other side of it being you know for the non-christian like you know who do you serve right like you know you never know what tomorrow brings and with that said especially when it comes to the bible And, uh, and lastly, our daughters, Natalia, Gianna, and Bianca. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I hope that tonight is not, you know, you guys know that, you know, if you do the work, you work hard enough, dreams come true. You know that, we all know that. But hopefully what you get from tonight is understanding that um, those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway. Um, that is actually the dream. That's the dream. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And if you guys, if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that you won't accomplish your dreams. Your dreams won't come true. Um, something greater will. And uh, if you guys can understand that, then I'm doing my job as a father. Thank you guys so much. I love you.